Hi, I'm James Chow, host of the China Current, where I bring you up close to the people who are shaping our shared global future. This week's episode comes from New York, where I met with some of the founders of a really great restaurant called Zunzi Kitchen, the newest branch of which is over in Bryant Park. It's the dream and the realization of four people who met each other. At Yale University, and not only that, they all grew up in China itself. Three of them in and around the Beijing area, or further up northeast in Harbin, but one, the chef Lucas Sin, over in Hong Kong, where at the age of sixteen he opened up his first restaurant inside. An abandoned newspaper factory. Later on, he ran his own food business out of his dorm room at Yale, and then went on to work in a few Michelin restaurants in Hong Kong and New York. I sat down with him and also with Zhao Yong, who is a co-founder and who also studied at Yale. In case you're interested, he did his MSc there, whereas Lucas was studying in the cognitive science and English department. So, a lot of brain power going on over here, and the four of them. Created a restaurant which they said they want to offer as a platform where dumplings and pancakes and more unfamiliar tastes and culinary stories of China can be shared with an audience in America. If food is the way by which one expresses love, what love does Zunzi express for the people who come here every day? We won't give a like a balanced lifestyle with kind of sense of open world love. You know, when you eat our food, if you're not from China, you probably feel, oh, this food is actually it's delicious, interesting, and also people tell me it's authentic、uh, culture and flavors.、Uh, so give you this sense of I can accept something new, interesting.、Uh, but if you're from China, it would give you a, a sense of nostalgia, like oh, this food actually tastes like. What I had back at home, in my old days,、um, and also it's healthy, balanced every day. I mean, you're you're from China itself. You grew up in Liaoning, which is in the northeast of the province, where it's really really cold、uh, during the winters. But it's also where some of the most creative people, I think, come from.、Uh, China.、Um, what memories of childhood of growing up there do you get when you come here and eat? Now, and what aspect of that childhood do you hope to transport and share with people who、uh, patronize Zunzi? Well, interesting because、uh, the childhood we had in China,、uh, because I'm born in the '80s, so the the China in the '80s and '90s and the 2000 and 2010 is like four different countries. So, in the '80s or in the '90s, early '90s, basically China is like my hometown. Like there was no McDonald's, there's no KFC, and everybody eat in season and locally because that's how all the ingredients are from, <laughs> being grown there,、um, and you eat home.、Right? You don't go to restaurant too much because there's not much restaurant available.、Um, so most of your the food you grew up with is basically home cooking, and home cooking means、uh, has to be something from family heritage. Uh, my family.、Uh, I grew up with my, my grandma. They're from Tangshan, like Hebei area. So a lot of food is, is very like、uh, northern Chinese food,、uh, and also my father's side from northeast. So there's a lot of similarities, but in the meantime, the food is very simple and healthy and, and balanced every day.
I just want to provide some geographical context to some of the places you're mentioning. Tangshan is uh, not so far from Beijing as well, and became known, unfortunately, worldwide in 1976 because of the great earthquake there,、um, which occurred. Many people obviously carry memories of that, and your family then, where you were born over in Liaoning, happier memories at that time.、Um, I'm going to come back to you, Yong, in just a moment, but I do want to. Uh, share this now with Lucas Sin and Lucas. You were born in Hong Kong. I'm actually born. I was actually born in Canada, and I was in Canada for like about three or four years, and then I was in California for one, and then Hong Kong for the rest of my life until college here in the U.S. One of those, you know, third culture kids. Do you feel a pressure to identify yourself as when someone says Lucas, where are you from?、Yeah. As Canadian or? Californian or from Hong Kong or today American. The easy answer is from Hong Kong because that's the blood that's in my veins. What's、uh, cool about Hong Kong? Because the Hong Kong when we were growing up was all Bruce Lee and jumbo floating restaurant and those incredible neon street、yeah. lights in Kowloon. But what what does Hong Kong mean to you? What does China mean to you? If you think about one of the most wonderful things about Hong Kong, culture and cuisine wise, is that the Hong Kong people very proudly have. Deliberately fused East and Western thinking, right? Like as a means of coping with whatever crisis the city was in, or just you know a, a little less,、uh, uh, or like day to day. If you think about you know Cha Cha Ting, which is restaurant, like the, a fast food Chinese yeah, restaurant. They're diners, right? They're, they're diners. They're, yeah, they're effectively diners. But those are very deliberate attempts、um, by Chinese cooks and Chinese people to try to reach for some sort of like idealistic, luxury European, like lifestyle through the food. And if you don't have access to the same type of tomatoes for the pasta sauce, then you use ketchup. You know, and that type of thinking has really sort of informed the type of cooking we do here because it's it's similarly we're trying to build a restaurant that represents a certain type of Chinese lifestyle that we think is aspirational. And there's something wonderful about Chinese thinking and Chinese cuisine that Americans can reach for and have already started to reach for for the last sort of like hundred fifty years. I'm sitting here smiling <laughs> because you you and you're laughing and you're we're using these words that are so empowering as well.、Um, I just wonder whether. When you were growing up, you would have associated China and Chinese culture as something aspirational, because certainly when I was growing up, it, it wasn't necessarily that. It didn't have a respected place in the world. It was just beginning to reconnect with the world outside its own borders. Being Chinese abroad wasn't cool in any sense.、Um, Bruce Lee was the only、yeah. thing I think that people really could relate、uh -huh. to. But do you think you would have used those words? Growing up, that and do you think you would have imagined that one day you would build your life and your career around an aspirational Chinese brand? I, I certainly didn't hear those words coming from friends of mine who are American-born Chinese or whatnot abroad.、Um, it takes a lot of、uh, digging to come to that realization. For me, as a chef, for example, when we were thinking about something as straightforward as. Um, Peking duck the other day, right?、Um, me and a couple of chefs were trying to find the origin of Peking duck, and so we keep digging and digging. We find this book that was written in the 14th century, in 1330s, by Hu Suhui, and it's basically the first pharmacist to have produced recipes for the emperor, right? Yin Shan Zhongyao. So it really is from yeah, Beijing. Yeah.、Uh, Peking yeah. duck. Okay.、Um, but 
the recipe itself seems to have had like Mongolian Middle Eastern roots because it's cooked inside the lamb stomach first before it's roasted and all these things. Oh. So you're diving into this and you're looking at the spices and then you start wondering, you know, uh, how does it, how did the Silk Road sort of affect spices? How does Chinese food like leave the country and all these things? And you realize that so much of like the origin of global cuisine comes from China. You realize that so many interesting things are just rooted in Chinese thought and Chinese philosophy and Chinese cooking that the more you dig into it, you're like, oh, this is really, really cool. And you know that you verify it because you go to other chefs, Italian chefs, French chefs, whoever else, and you tell them about these things that you find like, oh, that's so cool. I would love to learn that type of technique. I would love to dig deeper with you too. And so, I mean, that's sort of part of the core philosophy of Junzi is that um, our benefit is that we're Chinese. Now, it's not an easy word to <laughs> pronounce. I mean, you yeah. could have picked something that was uh, uh, far more relatable in the sense, but Zunzi, which is J-U-N-Z-I. Explain to us why you chose this particular term. I think when we choose the word uh, in the very beginning, is that we start thinking about this common kind of branding practice. We start thinking about what kind of company we want to become. Uh, what kind of people we want to have in the company and what kind of food we want to provide, what kind of lifestyle we're going to provide for our uh, client and customers. At that moment, we start to write down this kind of ideas, uh, just kind of balance the meal we want to have, we want to have in China. Um, and we start to talk about, oh, by the way, in Chinese culture, it's just usually the person who practice like this is called Junzi. And then our brand advisor, like, who's American, who never, never know this word before. So he saw this thing, he said, oh, what does the word mean? And I kind of explained to him a little bit, and then he said, well, this is a word for a brand. Like this, so that kind of start, that moment make me think about, oh, maybe I should not use ingredients as a word for a restaurant, but as a value, as an idea. So at the moment, also I start to memorize, uh, recall that, Kind of the first lesson I had back in uh, my college, the first day, um, it's a it's the first day of a li- the first liberal arts program in China. Uh, so the the professor who kind of put together this program started to talk about the idea of this kind of new practice of Chinese education is Junzi Buqi. Like if you come to the liberal arts program, um, you're not supposed to be thinking of yourself as a utility anymore. You should think of yourself as Junzi. Who's a leading? Uh, who is uh, have? Who has integrity? It's not gender specific, is it? This term? No, no. It can be applied across. Yes. Genders as well, and there's something very much attached to values here as well, in terms of honesty, and integrity. I don't think that these are words commonly associated with Chinese people, especially not in today's conversation around some of the misunderstandings around IPR or, or, or other issues like that. You're from China itself, and you're living in the other great country in the world today, which is the United States. Um, how would you describe what modern young Chinese people are like today, like you? I think it takes us some time to to kind of learn uh, for us right now to be in America, become oh, you're Asian American, be identified as minority groups, but. You know, in deep in our heart, we, we think we're a world system. So, which means we grew up as we think we're contributing to the world, to, to humanities from the very beginning. We never thought about, oh, we're just one small part of the world, but we want to become one of the 
everybody in the, in the humanity in, 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 in the community. So, which means we, when we think about contribution to the, to the world, we don't think about we're Chinese, we only contribute to China. We want to do something for everybody. And what would that be? Like what? So, like when I do research back at Yale, or when I do my venture here, I don't think, oh, I'm, I'm a Chinese company, uh, so doing a Chinese company thing. Uh, I'm more thinking about, oh, is this thing helping to everyone in the world? So you think of yourself more as a borderless citizen, someone who belongs to the world, is of the world, and gives to the world as well? Yes, yeah. but identity also is very clear that we are Chinese, or we grew up in a country that historically being a major civilization in the world, contributed to the world for thousands and thousands of years. And then we're proud of it, but in the meantime, we don't constrain ourselves by only doing things for China or uh, for Chinese. What's fascinating, Lucas, especially with your lens of being both part of a former colonial culture in Hong Kong and, and then, of course, uh, doing what you do, food, as we said earlier when I first came into the restaurant. And what a great restaurant this is as well. Very, very modern. You've got to watch the video to really appreciate what it's like, these brushed brass fittings and natural wood shelves along the walls. But um, food is a great way to understand people and cultures. Mm -hmm. What does Chinese food reveal about Chinese people and Chinese cultures? Um, the one thing I'm really quite excited about, the more I dig into Chinese food, the more you appreciate uh, a certain simplicity. One of the most wonderful things about Chinese food is you can take two ingredients and you combine those two ingredients and they sing a song. Um, a really great example is tomato and eggs, right? <sighs> It's favorite. everybody's favorite dish. Everybody's mother, everybody's auntie knows how to make this dish, right? And you have it in the south with rice as a stir-fry. You have it in the north as a sauce with noodles. We serve it northern style as a noodle. And the, the, the scientific backing to this too, right? Like amino acids, specific amino acids that uh, interact and produce maximums, kind of like savory umami flavor. Tomato and eggs. It's just two things always just flavored very simply with garlic, ginger, scallion, salt white pepper that's, that's more than really two it. ingredients but those are always the, the the backing sort of characters in every single dish okay right? there's one thing that you're missing over here because when i used to be on television um or at one point you know my hours would coincide with the canteen in 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 our studio and i went there every day and i ordered this tomato yeah. and egg either with the usually with the rice uh -huh. And I used to eat it every day thinking, you know, gosh, I'm so healthy apart from the rice. But I forgot that they put so much sugar in it as yeah, well. Yeah, put sugar in it. You yeah, put sugar in yours too? We have to put a little bit of sugar depending on the season. So depending tomatoes on the season. are not so sweet than you. But I think it's a stunning, stunning uh, dish that ostensibly is not only so simple, but uses ingredients that are universal to many of our yeah. shared cultures as well. So as Jung was saying, uh, something that is global, but something which is also specifically Chinese yeah. at the same time. It also is, indicates uh, the Chinese culture of food is also uh, it's a, it's a living culture. It's never be static. So, like when we talk about authenticity, it's always a moving target. So, yeah, tomato is not available, it's not na native to, to, to Chinese or to, to China. So, it's been growing from like ingredients from outside of China. So, a lot of new dishes is happening in China today, but also a lot of classic dishes we know is also not that old. Um, so, we think Chinese food is a kind of living ideas of food. Uh, and with a lot of different techniques, a lot of different uh, regional traditions, uh, habits, 
but you keep moving, keep moving, pushing to the future. I, I have to ask you, since we're uh, talking about this with you, uh, Yong, I heard that your mother is an Olympic gold medalist in Bing. Do you want to tell us what, in so, making it, so, tell us what it is, because not many people know what it is. Um, so it's my great-grandfather. So he's uh, one of the most renowned chef uh, in the Tangshan area, uh, in the kind of the east part of Beijing. So my mom is like, have the whole, memories with him. That's it, her grandfather. Yes, her grandfather. Um, at the moment, China was really poor. It's before the Cultural Revolution, uh, or in the middle of the Cultural Revolution. So, uh, so no, like the food is very scarcity. Yeah. Uh, but trimming is one of the, the 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 kind of rare trade. Sometimes the family will have. How would you describe it to people who may not yet have tasted it or seen it? So it's basically, if you're familiar with the Mexican food, it's uh, like tortilla. So every, every different kind of, uh, different regional kind of civilization find their own way to find the, their own beans because when they make some flour with water and then somehow they put on the hot stone or something and they will find, oh, that thing is like a bang, a wrap. Do you do beans here as well? Yes. You yes, do? Yes. Are you one of the few in New York to offer this? For the trimbing, yes. Okay. Uh, we're the only one right now actually specifically offering that in the everyday menu. I think this uh, is the next big thing. After the dumplings <laughs> and the jiaozi, <laughs> I think it's going to be bings. And you know, that could be the name of your next yeah. restaurant, well, bing, uh, the bing line. Uh, bing is, bing is we, we do trimbing specifically because bing is such a big term for Chinese food. It includes a lot of different things like, you know, noodles were called tang bing, like soup bing. Oh. Uh, and then like mantou was called the tree bing or zheng bing, steam bings. So there's all kinds of bings. There's jian bing. There's a company doing a lot of uh, jian bings here. There are a few, few companies doing that. But for the trim bing, it's basically more like a burrito or wrap um, that is very common in the northern part of China. But also you know, in Taiwan, you can find similar things. Lucas, I... You know, we're here early, you can hear the, the, the staff beginning to prepare, you can see the steam beginning to rise from the counters. I can see where there is a, a rope dividing the two lines of people. You, you serve about four or 500 people at lunchtime in this very, very new location, which is only, I think, a week or two old. So come 12 o'clock, when this restaurant really fills up, what should I order? The, we were talking about tomato and eggs earlier, and that's sort of our signature dish. That's the go-to here, is it? We serve it with a braised pork, pork hock. Um, ah. About eight or nine different types of spices, rice wine, that sort of thing. Super tender. Um, one of the things we really like to do at Junzi is we like to use cuts that are often overlooked here in the U.S., but are actually luxury cuts. For example? Uh, pork hock is one of them, zhuzhouzi. So you, you have the tomato and the egg. Mm -hmm. Noodles, for example, right. and then you add the pork yeah, broth. The pork, the pork, uh, the pork is just the meat. You just add the pork meat, meat to that yeah. as well, and then stir fry vegetables and that sort of thing. Ah, okay, that's really really interesting. Um, what else could we have here? Um, we were talking about chunbing earlier. I think we have a really wonderful chunbing. If you like the pork, we have a spicy garlic chili pork chunbing. That's really quite fun, um, as well as something that's a little bit more old fashioned, which is. Um, uh, we call it the sweet bay beef bing, so a Beijing-style beef shank bing. You're making Chinese food 
um, and very authentic Chinese food, very accessible here. You've got four different types of tea in a refrigerated dispenser and also you have water and ice beside that as well. But there's something very, very different about what you're creating here. I mean, from the name, which is uh, very specific, it's not the usual Jet Li, Jackie Chan kind sure. of Chinese, internationalized Chinese. It's something very specific and authentic that you're offering everybody and inclusively as well. Um, the other thing that really struck me is that I think this has to be the most intellectual kitchen I've ever heard because you're all from Yale, all of you. And I mean all of you. Uh, looking at the founder, the co-founder, I mean, actually all three co-founders plus you, Lucas, all went to Yale. And then just to make things a little bit more fancy, Jung, you also did your undergraduate at Peking University, which is the, not, I wouldn't say it's the Yale of China, I think it's like the Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Stanford, uh, and Columbia of China rolled into one as well. So what are you guys doing in food? Um, I think your mothers must have asked you this. <laughs> yes, definitely. I have convinced everybody from my family and the friend uh, circles that we're not only doing a food, also it's a food but food is the best medium of community culture. And we want to become the bridge of the modern Chinese culture to the outside world. Um, Music came on. <laughs> We're going to see what happens over here. It's time. <laughs> is it time? Okay. Um, we have to understand that certainly where I was growing up in the UK, and I think that's same with the Chinese-American experience in the US, people cooked because they had to cook. It was a way of making a living because they couldn't speak English or they didn't have the necessary educational qualifications. Chinese people, I think, didn't choose to go abroad to cook. Yes. They cooked as a way of getting ahead in life. And that was their accelerator, something unique they could offer in place of a college degree or in place of being able to speak the language of yes. that community. But obviously the world is open to all of you. Chinese, it is true. There is truth in the stereotype that we stick to the safe subjects. So was it difficult to convince your family around you, because family is everything with the Chinese, was it difficult to convince them that this was something that was a career and not just a phase? Um, it's not. Actually, when we think about Chinese always want to stay in the safe zone, it's probably you need more to be specific about it. It's like the last generation Chinese, because they have been traumatized in their childhood because all the disturbance happening around them. Like the Cultural Revolution. Yes. And all the wars they know before. So a few generations, over 200 years of the whole disturbance around East China make them want to do something safe. Yeah. But when you actually become more and more confident about your future, like you're highly educated, you've never been through the war, so now you start to become more adventurous. So it's, it's more about generation shift of what happened in your childhood make you choose something on the upside. It's <laughs> so interesting. I never thought about it, but or I never thought about how all the instability of the last century uh, made the Chinese pick the safe subjects because that was a way to uh, survive. Lucas, I know that we're going to dip into the kitchen very shortly and I know how lucky we are because no. um, like, a, like a proper chef, you don't do all the cooking necessarily, but you create the vision, you train your own chefs and they execute on a daily basis. So what are we going to see inside your kitchen today? We're going to make a couple of the stir-fried vegetables, probably cook a little bit of tofu. That's I can't cook, by the way. That's okay. I got it. <laughs> well, what's, what's, the, what's the basic of making ingredients work together at Tunza Kitchen? Um, it's 
treating the right ingredients with the right techniques because a lot of the cooking at the end of the day is quite simple. But having to do it for one person, for one family is easy enough. Doing it for you know, the four or five hundred people that come for lunch is a whole different thing. I love what both of you have shared today in terms of the identity, the culture, the longevity in Jung's legacy of his own family coming now from a fourth generation involved in food and also all of you you know sharing what is modern what is Chinese today for everybody as well so if you're in New York come by one of the expanding number of restaurants you have here we're sitting in the one in Bryant Park on West 41st 41st, yep. 41st. and this is a really really cool place to come out uh, and, and enjoy your lunch or enjoy part of your day. Where else can they go? They can go to Columbia campus, 113 Street and Broadway, or they can go to, go to uh, Greenwich Village on the Bully and Sullivan, where the Doctor Strange reside. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, so if you have one at Columbia, Columbia's campus, I'm sure there's going to be one in New Haven pretty soon on the Yale campus too. That's our first one, actually. Oh, there is one there? Yes. Okay, it's actually on the campus. Uh, yes. it's, it's, yeah, on the Broadway. So, so there you've got it. Tunzu Kitchen officially, Ivy League endorsed. Eat here and you get a little brainier by the time you leave. Thank you very much to Yong Zhao and also to Lucas Sin. Let's head to the kitchen now. Thank you. Go to our website, thechinacurrent.com, for more stories and more people.